to the Military Psychology Podcast Network, the Society for Military Psychology, Division 19 of the American Psychological Association, is producing several series applying psychological principles in military settings. We'll feature topics including diversity, consulting, behavioral health in the military and specialty areas, including operational aviation psychology. We address the question, what is military psychology? And answer it a number of ways. Follow the Society for Military Psychology at www.militarypsych.org. This episode is brought to you by Grid Energy Solutions, LLC, striving to enhance the resiliency and network recovery capabilities of the nation's electric power grid. Grid Energy's mission is to facilitate the restoration of the American electric power grid in the event of catastrophic failures resulting from natural events or human actions. For more information, please inquire at contact at grid-energy.com. Welcome back to our listeners. Today's episode is going to be discussing women in leadership. And joining me today is Major Chaska Gomez. She is a PsyD and has just completed her clinical psychology or clinical health psychology fellowship at Tripler Army Medical Center. She's also in the process of completing her master's in clinical psychopharmacology and she is becoming a board certified health psychologist. Major Gomez, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your expertise with us. Thank you for having me. So today's topic is about women in leadership and what some of the challenges that women face, and particularly in the behavioral health field. And so when we're looking at women in psychology, there's definitely a shift to where there's now more women that are in mm -hmm. psychology. But when we're looking at women of color and particularly Black women, that has not expanded as much. Mm -hmm. Can you right. talk to us a little bit about some of the challenges and some of the benefits that you've seen as far as coming into the psychology field? Yeah, definitely. So definitely, as you mentioned, some of the challenges just being, again, the only woman of color, the only minority psychologist in a few settings that I've been to. So for me, again, depending on where that was, that was particularly hard because honestly, the majority of folks in that setting were white males who not only had been in that setting for a lot longer than I had, but are also older. So again, coming brand new captain right out of residency into the setting. For me, I was at a brigade. So again, as you know, brigades, male dominated, the majority of them Caucasian male. So I was definitely seen as the outsider in that situation. It took me, I would say, probably several months and really good leadership to really just kind of, you know, again, feel that I was being accepted, not only because I was a woman, first and foremost, but then also kind of, you know, again, because of being a psychologist. And a lot of those skills, like I said, again, is there are things that we're taught from internships. So doing walkabout, showing my face or what have you. But again, just really really kind of demystifying what it was to a work with a woman, but then also a woman of color. So I also during that time, I do remember, you know, like I said, not having a lot of other females to talk to as well. So that for me, again, was something also a setback because even if I wanted to 
talk or share some of the experiences or feelings that I was feeling being in that setting, it was really hard for me to find somebody to actually talk with. Because again, there wasn't a lot of females in that unit. So luckily, one of our nurses PCSed in shortly after I did, and she just happened to be, again, Black as well. So I felt that it was like, yes, I finally have somebody that I can identify with, somebody that I can talk to versus, you know, culturally and understanding not only the culture of the brigade I was in, but then also kind of culturally of the area that I was in as well. So being assigned up to Washington State, again, where I live, there was not a lot of minority. It wasn't a big minority community as well. So not only feeling out of place for me in that unit setting, but then also kind of where I, where I live. So it was, like I said, again, I was really fortunate to have my nurse PCS in and for us to kind of share some of the experiences together. And that really helped me through it. So thinking about that experience of not having anyone to relate to or to mentor or even to have that friendship or that professional relationship with that someone that looked like you. So right. how, how were you able to manage and how did you get involved in psychology without having that person who looked like you, who you could go to for that mentorship relationship? Definitely. Well, I really had to expand it, you know, again. So I came to an understanding and, and for me, I grew up in New Jersey. So it was very, you know, there's lots of different ethnicities, lots of different cultural backgrounds or what have you. So for me, and I've lived in New Jersey all my life until I joined the military. So kind of that is what, you know, I grew up in. So going from that setting to a different setting where there wasn't a lot of minorities, again, where I lived, I really, at that point, had to really kind of get out of that expectation that maybe I was going to go find somebody, again, a minority. And I really just, at that point, started to gravitate towards women psychologists, to be honest. So again, if, if there wasn't anybody that looked like me, I was gravitating towards like, you know, women of all different ethnicities to help me figure out, okay, what is this psychology thing? Again, like I said, my first assignment right out of internship and residency was at the brigade. So I tried to find women who, again, had been part of a brigade to see what that was like. And really, again, trying to see what some of those qualities look like. What are some of those qualities that they brought to their work as a brigade psychologist? Thankfully, again, like I said, that the person I replaced was actually an Asian woman. And we had talked during internship and I had knew her again. She was a couple of classes ahead of mine at the hospital. So I was able to really pull a lot from her experiences. And again, similarly, we had talked about some of the same things. So again, for her, culturally speaking, as a minority, things were, you know, like I said, she felt like some of the things that she was trying to convey as a psychologist were not really taken seriously because of, you know, again, her gender, but also her ethnicity with some of the, the folks in the brigade. So I really talked to her about, okay, what are some of your experiences? What are some of the pitfalls I should watch out for? You know, when I'm, when I'm talking in certain groups, you know, what are some things that I should be saying to in order to get my, you know, my point across and, and come across as a strong female leader? So I really looked for people who had those experiences or even if they hadn't been in a brigade that had been a psychologist, of course, a lot longer than I have in order to drain a prof. So there was, I was fortunate to have several female psychologists at, uh, at Madigan where I was at. So I was definitely gravitated towards them, gravitated towards hearing or encouraging them to tell me some of their stories about how they felt like they made it in the psychology world. 
and really like with those stories and kind of those tidbits really tried to reformulate myself and kind of what I want to be or who I want to be in my identity as a psychologist. And it's still, like I said, something that I definitely kind of looking back on some of my other experiences, a learning process, because in every situation I've been, like I said, again, there hasn't been definitely a lot of minorities, but you know, even on top of that, not a lot of females and not a lot of female leaders. So I'm constantly feeling like, again, I have to kind of, okay, re reconfigure myself into A, what it looks like or what it potentially could look like for that organization and B, how can I make sure I'm true to myself, true to the skills that I have? Because I, you know, again, I obviously hopefully feel that I'm placed in certain assignments because I do have that skill set and something to share with those individuals. So again, how can I be true to that? But then also how can I make sure that I am being professional and having or um, and just making, just again, making it seem like just being a good role model for other women. So you talked a lot about, you know, finding those people that you gravitated towards tended to be women and being able to be true to yourself. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes we hear about as, especially as burgeoning psychologists and coming in that imposter syndrome. And then if you add on top of that, that layer of I'm new to this, I'm still figuring out how to do this and how to be as a psychologist. And that mentoring is so important because Mm -hmm. oftentimes I see particularly women trying to be like men that they have seen in those positions and trying to change their natural bent Mm -hmm. and how they would interact to be more of a male type of style versus like you said, being true to yourself. What is that added layer of anxiety and stress for a woman of color? Yeah, definitely. You know, I feel that one of the biggest things that I often feel that can sometimes come across in, in again, being a woman of color is that it seems like, just, you know, the feedback you get is that you come off too aggressively, you know? So again, I may be well-intentioned, just really kind of bottom line up front, but in the wrong audience, I, you know, I can be given that feedback. Well, you know, you just seem like you're angry. You're just seem like you're, you're coming off too harsh and you shouldn't, you shouldn't be like that because people are going to think that you're just an angry black woman. So, you know, I think that there's often that caution that sometimes when we do come off as passionate or as black women, you know, we do come off as passionate. We do come off as direct that that can seem almost aggressive. That can seem almost abrasive. So there's definitely always that lurking in my background, in my in background of my my head as far as like, okay, how can I get my point across without seeming like, again, I'm unapproachable or how seeming like I'm, again, being too aggressive, I guess is the best way I can say it. And it's what I can really say is it's a learning experience because I have mentors, I have female mentors who, again, that they come across as, you know, very up for every you know, forthright, very upcoming, but a very, again, bottom line up front. But I've had to hear those comments about them that those are the leaders I don't want to be, right? And of course, the majority of comments when I do hear them come from males, from white males. But I've also had the other spectrum of female leaders that, again, I've interacted with and, you know, sometimes that they are taken as being too soft, being too much of a pushover because they're not that Again, bottom line up front, not that, okay, we're going to get this done straightforward attitude. So, you know, there is this pressure sometimes to be something that is really not defined 
clearly, or at least I've experienced it really hasn't been defined clearly. It's just been defined as don't be too aggressive, but don't be too passive. And that's where I said is that the identity part comes in because you're really left with, okay, how can I present myself again, knowing that the majority of people may see me as, okay, you're just being an angry black woman or what have you, but how can I come across with not, you know, being like that? How can I come across as being, you know, again, assertive, but not being seen as too assertive? And I feel like, you know, again, that seems like sometimes the common struggle when we come across with that. And I guess I could say it like that. Yeah. And it sounds definitely like if it was a white male saying those same things in that same tone, it would be, he's a strong leader. He's decisive. Yeah. He's giving us clear, concise guidance versus as a woman of color, you're an angry black female. You should be softer, nicer, kinder, but not too soft and nice and gentle because then we won't take you seriously. Yes, exactly. But, but there's no litmus test of this is the right balance. And it's always depending on who you're talking to. And, and it's almost like this code switching that has to happen. Yes, definitely. And I have heard, I mean, I've had particularly one black woman, she was actually in our command. And I asked her, a different command and recruiting command when I was there. And I asked her, because like, how do you do it? Like, you are in a position of authority. You know, you, of course, are making big decisions as far as personnel, where soldiers, you know, where soldiers are going to sign to. How do you do it? How do you remain effective? Because for me, you know, she was definitely an effective, you know, powerful black woman. So definitely learning her secret. And what she had told me, she, she said, you know what? I didn't always get it right. I used to be very, very harsh as far as aggressive, I guess we would say. I would just like, hey, I, this is the bottom line. I didn't want to hear any other talk or anything like that. This is what I said goes. And she said, I really had to, again, back down a little bit from that because I was seen as unapproachable. But she mentioned that what she's always been told by, again, other female leaders is that it's much easier for you to kind of start off like that and then back down or back down to, again, a little bit more friendly, softer, what have you, versus start off as being seen as, you know, again, not soft or being seen as softer and then trying to go towards the other side where you're, you know, you're, you're trying to be bottom line, you're trying to be assertive. Because she said, at that point, people tend to not take you seriously because, again, you've already put your face out there. So anything after what they initially see is going to be difficult for you to adjust to. So I always, again, that's another nugget that I keep in my head as far as how I'm initially presented or how I'm initially, you know, again, go into a situation, it pretty much probably how people are going to perceive me. So it may be a little bit difficult to change that after a while. So if I do want to set an impression or I do want to set, you know, standards for whatever workplace I'm in, then I should definitely go in, make sure I'm being assertive. And then again, kind of modify that to whatever the situation when the situation entails. That sounds exhausting. <laughs> it is. It definitely is. And to have that constantly in the back of your mind, like who's my audience, who's going to perceive me in a certain way and how to adjust to that and constantly just being watchful of, okay, what do I need to do and how do I need to shift in this yeah. situation with this audience? So thinking about the roles that we as women play and the different hats we wear, we're mothers, we're spouses, we're partners. And if you think about all of those other roles that we play, what are some of the challenges that you've seen in balancing 
all of those other roles. Oh my gosh. I feel like that's a, that is always, that is always at the forefront balancing all the the roles that we have to juggle, you know, because again, what your approach is at home or at work or with my patients is, is very different when you're right, when you come home and you have to put that mother hat on, you have to put that self hat on, you have to put that friend hat on or what have you. So, you know, again, one of the things that mostly I think I, you know, I try to be as consistent as I can. I'm a big, you know, I really try to be as far as consistent at home, consistent at at work, consistent with my partner. And I feel like that kind of helps me not blend too many of the, like I said, the, the issues, I guess, as far as kind of switching between some of those roles. Again, as a, with everything that's going on as a Black mother, you know, that is something that constantly is in the back of my head. How am I teaching my family to be, you know, strong in the face of some of these adversities that's happening? How to teach my kids, you know, again, hey, you want to be respectful of people in authority, but then also you want to be watchful for things that are going on as well. You know, again, you know, I'm not really sure how to answer that. That is a great question that you asked. Sorry, not like I said, that was a great question. Where did I miss off at? <laughs> no, no, I think you did a great job of just describing, you know, we do have all of these different roles. And so not only are you having to switch and recognize, okay, who's my audience? How do I have to, you know, navigate and turn on or turn off, you know, my assertiveness or my mm-hmm. tone? But then you come home and now you have to switch your hat again to mom, mm-hmm. to partner and be there and be present. And mm-hmm. You know, you brought up a good point of in today's climate, looking at current events, historic events, systemic Mm -hmm. racism. How do we talk to our children about what's going on in the world, what's going on with protesting, what's going on with riots? And how do you teach your children, right? That conversation is different than I would have with my white children. As Mm -hmm. far as I don't have that in the back of my mind, as far as, hey, when you get pulled over, be watchful, make sure you do it in Mm -hmm. a well-lit area, make sure it's an area where there's a lot of traffic and, you know, different conversations that I may not have to have with my children and having to manage, right, your own reactions, your own grief, your own Mm -hmm. anger, the rage that some people have talked about experiencing, but not being able to discuss that or... Mm -hmm being concerned if you discuss that or express an emotion or a feeling or an opinion, what is that backlash going to be in your work environment? Yeah, no, great, Freeford. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for bringing me back on there. Yeah, definitely, you know, again, one of the things, the issues that I struggled with in terms of kind of what, what you were describing is that, you know, as psychologists, we're usually taught to be that sounding board, to be that empathetic listening ear or what have you, to pretty much, you know, hear what our patients are saying and then help them help them navigate that. But with everything that was going on, like I said, with the riots and, and again, COVID and some of the different minority disparities that are coming out as far as in healthcare and COVID and everything like that, you know, it definitely, I felt it impact me probably more so than I've ever felt within my career, just some of these things that are happening. Because again, some of the places where they were rioting at, those are places I've been assigned to. Those are places I lived at. So it's particularly hurtful to see things going on, of course, in places that you've lived at 
to hear about things that are happening, not only to your own family members being discriminated against, but then also, you know, again, kind of what's going on back in your hometown. And of course, you not being able to be there, respond to that, but then having to go and bringing all of those emotions into work, into the thought, you know, into just kind of into work and having to maybe put them aside or having to put them aside, I'm sorry, in order to be there for your patient is very tiring. It is very hard. And for me, one of the things, like I had mentioned, I struggled with is not having my own sounding board at work to kind of talk about some of these issues. Like I said, I think it's very, you know, it seems like it's very easy for us as providers to say, oh, well, if you're having, you know, issues at home, you should bring those up, of course. You know, if you're having issues with alcoholism or if you're having issues with, you know, depression, anxiety, or what have you, that we as providers have a, a right, a duty, pretty much to bring those up and talk about them because that can definitely impact our, you know, our ability to do therapy. But it is very different when we talk about, again, what if we're having issues with dealing with, you know, again, culture? What if we have an issue with dealing with what's going on in my culture and how that's, you know, how that's impacting. I think that's a very different and very taboo conversation to have, even with other psychologists. So that is something that my myself, again, kind of find myself reflecting back to, huh, I wish I had other Black psychologists to talk to. I wish I had other providers to talk to and see how they've navigated. Also, even being comfortable bringing in a room with my patients. So of course, we have patients from all different types of backgrounds. And just being able to, in my own way, check in with them about what's going on in their environment. Because again, not being naive to the fact that it's you know, just because it's not, it's impacting me this way, it may be potentially impacting my patient that way and, or in the same way or similar way and bringing that into the room as well. And that is a very different thing that I had not had to deal with before in different settings, just because again, where we're at with our society and everything like that. So having to juggle that. And like you said, then bringing home and having to turn on the news and seeing all these things going on and have to explain to our teenage kids who are both boys, you know, again, some of these things that they have to watch out for and how do you do that as, you know, again, a parent, but then knowing the impact psychologically, how that can bring to them as well. How do you navigate those? So definitely, like I said, lots of difficult conversations that on one hand, it's like, I can't negate the fact that I am a black woman. I can't negate the fact that I have to have these conversations with my kids. I can't negate the fact that, you know, some of the things that are going in the world are going to impact me. But then also, like I said, balancing that with, okay, how can I not see the benefit of this? I guess that's something weird. I want to, how to explain it, but how can I use this as a growth, growing process for me? How can I use this as a growing process for my kids? How can I use this as if it does come up in conversations, a growing process for my patient who is also struggling with some of the other things or some of the similar things as far as kind of what's going on in there, what's going on in their unit, how they're feeling as maybe the only black soldier in their unit dealing with all this stuff that's going on and some of the comments that are coming out from that. So I feel again, as a black psychologist, it's, it's a very unique situation that we, me, is really navigating right now. And like I said, it's just, uh, it's a work in progress. It's a growing, it's a growing experience because I don't have all the answers for it. But I feel like, again, just opening up and having those conversations with other Black psychologists that I see and sharing from their experiences and probably not, you know, probably not uncommon that we have a lot of these same experiences because we're, like I said, because we're the same, from the same minority background. 
So what advice would you give to up and coming black women who are psychologists and in the military as far as how to navigate and manage those stressors in their lives? Yeah, definitely. I would say for me, and it's probably the number one thing that comes up is just finding finding those mentors that you can gravitate towards, find those people that you can talk to. Interestingly, I, I tell this to some of the, the, the students I talk to all the time that I do have, like, again, a lot of female mentors, female Black mentors who are in the military, who've known me for years. So I, I feel comfortable going to them and talking about some of these things. But a lot of my mentors early on were white men in the military. And I figured that, you know, again, hey, because white men woke up, obviously the majority of the military, I need to have mentors in this realm to kind of help me navigate some of these situations. So definitely, you know, it seems very natural for us, like I had mentioned before, to gravitate towards people who are like me, but then also needing to get out of that comfort zone and finding mentors who are not like me, who were very dissimilar from me. And that was, like I said, that was an interesting, you know, relationship because A, I had to be open and willing to hear what they had to say about some of the things that would help me out throughout my military career, but then B, put some of those things into practice. So again, when it came to, like I mentioned before, kind of some personality things, again, you know, making sure that when I'm coming across, coming across not as, you know, again, too abrasive, but coming across, but not as too passive as well. That was one of the comments, I guess, that I heard from a couple of different mentors of all different ethnicities. So that was something I had taken into consideration. So one of the things, like I said, I do highly encourage, like all, everyone that, or all my students that I work with is find mentors who, again, look like you, but then also don't look like you. Another thing I talk about is also getting involved in some, or, some organizations that are, you know, again, looking at what to do about or different minority organizations or what have you. So again, I've gotten involved with the NAACP as far as like some of their just, just hearing about some of the organizational platforms or what have you. I've gotten involved in race, race and ethnicity uh, special interest group through my sports psychology consultation contact. So again, talking about race and ethnicity in sport, which is very similar to the military and hearing about some of the different things that, again, those group of psychologists are doing in that arena. So getting involved, like I said, in things outside of the military that just brings about general awareness to some of the different, like I said, struggles and activities that are designed to kind of help highlight some of the things that minorities are dealing with outside of psychology. So I always recommend people to, again, just being knowledgeable, being open to hearing about some of these things, making sure that you know, you're reading articles about what's going on and watching the news. Just so, again, you're able to have some insightful conversations. That's what I always tell the kids. Right now, I read a lot of articles through Temple University, one of my alumnaters, but they did a lot as far as research as far as racial disparities in COVID, particularly in lower income areas that obviously are dominated by African-Americans. So I've been looking at some of that research that they've been doing as well as the singers and some of the different providers out there in Pennsylvania talking about what they've been doing, psychologists as well as physicians talking about what they're doing in order to kind of, again, help the minority population in that area stop the spread of COVID, be more knowledgeable about certain things. So again, it's, I feel like it's all about mentorship, but education are kind of my biggest recommendations, you know, as far as for anybody who's just 
you know, psychologists are starting out as a psychologist and who, again, are just trying to figure out, hey, how to navigate this environment that we're in right now. So it really sounds like it's really a lifelong journey of yeah. being able to reach out, continuing to educate yourself, continuing to find those people who you want to emulate and whose mm-hmm. style career matches what your goals are and being open to a diverse group of people so that mm-hmm. you can expand your understanding of the world, of how other people function, other cultures function, other genders function, and really having an open type of mindset and a growth mindset to be willing to get out of your comfort zone and what feels comfortable and familiar so that you can be a better psychologist and be able to provide better care for your patients as well. Yes, absolutely. And definitely as far as the culture. So, you know, you bring up an excellent point that I think sometimes gets overlooked. But as psychologists, we are constantly having to look at what culture brings to the table in our practice and our interactions. So being where I'm at, obviously, in Hawaii, there's just a hodgepodge of cultures here that impact how people view psychologists or not even only psychologists, but view medical care. So, I, you know, you're constantly having to educate yourself about different cultures and kind of what that brings to the table. And I would say that that's definitely something that I'm constantly growing in as a psychologist, constantly making sure I'm being aware of, constantly learning new things about different cultures that I have to take into consideration when I'm providing care. And again, all these these principles, they sound good, right? We learn about them all the time in school. But when we really have to put them into practice, when we really have to talk about them, or when we really have a, a patient right in front of us who's bringing all the stuff about their culture into the treatment, into that relationship, we have to, it's, it's like we have to deal with that. We have to figure out, okay, what's the, the best approach? And it, it is not always you know, again, they give us the, we have a textbook approach, I say, but that's not always, again, the thing that's feasible at that point. That is not always easy, I guess, at that point, because we learn one thing, but again, when the person's right in front of us and we have to comment on what's going on with them, or we have to comment on how some of those cultural variables, how that gets brought into the relationship we're having with them and how that's going to impact treatment, that is not always, it can be a messy process sometimes. So it's just that constant awareness that you know, again, culture is there is something that I, I do want to stress and it's going to impact us differently because again, even as a black psychologist and all the things that I, you know, hoping to accomplish, that also impacts the relationship I have with the individuals I treat differently because again, they may seem it as, okay, I don't, you know, again, you're a black female, I understand you have this degree and all, but I don't want anything that you have to, to offer. So that's another thing that gets like navigated. So again, constant navigation of all these different things into that therapeutic relationship or again, that therapeutic relationship I'm, I'm wanting to have. But just really, again, being open and willing to navigate those things is also something that, like I said, again, I always stress. It's like just being open, just being like, I may not get it right. I doubt I always get it right. I know I don't always get it right. But again, at least being willing to have those conversations and being willing to try and being willing to, even if I mess up and, and do a mistake, being willing to own that and talk with the patient about that. Like, hey, I probably missed that, what you're saying. I probably missed you know, missed a mark on that, help me understand that. And again, even apologizing if I need to. 
That has me thinking about another question as far as how can white psychologists and particularly white women be allies and support? Because sometimes what I see is that there's this tendency to want to wear this I'm so woke badge and let me show you how knowledgeable I am versus being able to know when it's time to listen and when it's time to ask and say, you know, I don't know. Just like you said, being humble and saying, I don't know. Can you help me understand this when it's messy, when it's uncomfortable? So what advice would you have to our white colleagues who want to have these conversations but aren't quite sure how to get them started and might be feeling that tension of that uncomfortable space? Yeah, definitely. And I think, I mean, I think you you hit the nail right on the head as far as like just being open to say, I don't know what you're going through, but let me have that conversation or let's have that conversation. Can you please, you know, be so comfortable sharing what some of your experiences are? So just being, like I said, that openness and willing to hear what, again, their minority counterparts are struggling with, not being so closed off or, you know, unintentional to the fact of, oh, okay, that I already know that, or just even discounting experiences. And I've had probably some of my colleagues just, again, kind of rationalize some of the experiences that I've had in terms of living in certain places where I've been, you know, again, discriminated against and just talking to other folks about this and just saying, oh, well, this happens to everybody. It's not just happening to you as a Black, you know, woman or a Black psychologist, what have you. So for me, the biggest thing that I would recommend is just being open to hear about these experiences, really hear about the experiences without having to, again, rationalize, without having to just pretty much say, well, that doesn't matter. Everybody has to deal with it. Just being open and then, again, being open to also hearing about what is some of that feedback that could be helpful. And for me, like I said, the biggest thing is just being empathetic. So just being what we do with our patients, empathetic of the struggle. If I, you know, for my white counterparts, you know, you, I imagine that we wouldn't, you wouldn't, folks wouldn't be interjecting when it's a patient talking or interjecting and kind of, like I said, just kind of rationalizing some of the things when the, that a patient has went through in terms of their culture and their racial disparities. So, you know, again, I would hope that the same honor is kind of given to me as far as like, hey, just listen. Let me tell you what's going on. And then we can have that conversation about it. But just let me get it out in the open first. Because as comfortable as it is to, for, you know, I imagine for my white allies to say something to me, it's equally as uncomfortable for me to say anything either. Because again, there's sometimes that there's that perception, again, that I mentioned as far as, oh, again, you're just complaining because you know, again, you're a minority, you're complaining because things aren't the same. And it can be frustrating sometimes to open up and not have people listen. So the biggest thing that I would say is just definitely lending a listening ear, being willing to even hear some of these stories, be aware that it's sometimes uncomfortable to talk about some of these stories for both of us, but then acknowledging that, bringing that to the table, because again, through that acknowledgement, that's where I feel like that shared experience can grow. That's where I feel like, okay, I've opened up to you now. Now I feel like committed to potentially working on this issue with you. And if you seem like a person that I want to work on this issue with, okay, let's do this together versus it's just, you know, this, this controversy or what have you. What advice would you have for individuals who want to have that conversation and to balance the, I really want to learn from you versus you're the spokesperson for your entire race? 
Right. Exactly. And the same thing. I would just be open and have the conversation and realize that our experience is my experience. It's just one experience. So and I've had a, a lots of conversations with different Black Army psychologists, males, females, or what have you. And we definitely have a lot of shared experiences, I would say. A lot of similar experiences, both being in the military, being and living in certain environments and other. But again, also realizing that our experiences are very different and how we navigate those experiences are very different. So I, like I said, would in no way would be like, hey, this, you know, I have experience, it's everybody's experience. And at the same time, like I said, I would want to make sure that some of my allies understand that, that this is, experience is very different for everybody. But, you know, again, just being open to that, just knowing that this is my experience and, you know, again, not trying to say that this is everybody's experience, I guess. Well, Major Gomez, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your experiences and your advice and guidance for up and coming psychologists. And thank you again. And we'll put some of those resources down as far as some of the organizations you talked about for psychologists of color to get involved and have those opportunities. And also for psychologists in general, I think just like you said, the more that we know about different cultures, different backgrounds, the better we are prepared to serve our clients and our patients that come in. So thank you so much for sharing those resources. And for our audience, we hope you'll continue to listen next time as we talk about disparities in medical care for minority populations. And looking forward to having that conversation with you and your partner, Major Joseph Gomez in the upcoming episode. So thank you again. Thank you. Thank you for having me.